Hello everybody, welcome back this week, we're back for another episode of The Passion Project, the project where it doesn't matter if anybody else cares as long as you do. And we're getting a little historical this week and I have Sabrina joining me. Hey Sabrina. Hello. How you doing? I'm great, how are you? I am also pretty great. Thank you very much for joining me. Not a problem, it's great to be here. Is this, I think you were saying before, is this the first time you maybe have been on a podcast? It's the first time I've been on a podcast. I've been on the radio a couple of times, though, so this is similar. Oh, yeah, it is. It is. This is similar, except if we fuck up, we can just start all over again. So, Yeah, so who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> fucking just screw up as much as we want. We, we got all day. <laughs> okay, so, so what are you here to talk to me about this week? I'm here to talk about local history. Excellent. Is it specific <laughs> local history, or is it, do you just like local history of different places everywhere? Um, I like local histories of different places everywhere, but my area is very much Winnipeg, where I'm from. Right, but right. Well, that's I feel it. like every city or town has like a weird backstory to it that's really fun to figure out. It probably does, but you you mainly, I guess you know most the most about your hometown? Yeah, I do. I've always been a big history fan, so. Right. So is... is it's something I've learned a lot about. Right. Is that your home? Is it your hometown now, or like, do you still live there, or is it former hometown? Yeah, um... I was born and raised outside of Winnipeg in a very small town, but I moved to the city five years ago, so right. I've been here ever since, so yes. it's home now. So where where is Winnipeg exactly for people that are geographically clueless like me? <laughs> so uh, Winnipeg is the capital city of Manitoba, a Canadian province. Right. Winnipeg is the heart of the continent, so we're right in the center of Canada. Right. So- Southern center, but still the center. So Manitoba is down the bottom in the middle. Yeah, we're one. We're the middle province essentially. We're very much smack dab in the center. We're right next to Ontario and besides Saskatchewan, and then right, right. I think Inuits above us. Okay, okay, good. That that provides some kind of context. Now we know where we're where we're based. Yeah. Okay. So, what what is in particular about I guess history slash local history that fascinates you so much? It's, I think, the people more than anything. When you look at the way they teach histories in school, it's very broad, right? Like, you talk about sort of national history and how things were founded in laws, and it's not always as exciting. But when you really focus down on cities and towns, there are lots of really weird people living in them, doing lots of very strange things. And Winnipeg started out as sort of like a boom town, so it was very Wild West in its early days. So there's a lot of particularly crazy characters cropping up between like 1870 and 1920 that make it really fun to study. Is that kind of the, the glory days of weird local history stories, that that period? Yeah, it's very much the boom. Right. And then we crash in the 30s and then there are still crimes, but they're not quite as fun. Everyone gets a bit simple and boring <laughs> after that point. Yeah, well, if you're off into really depressing murders, yeah. also... We want the fun murders, guys. <laughs> yeah, there's... Oh, God, I'm trying to think. There's one, someone murdered a 16-year-old girl in a hotel in the 1940s. Well, and that I, one like, I kind of feel like... And I just kind of feel like every other month someone's probably murdering a 16-year-old girl in a hotel because the world is terrible. Yeah, I suspect so. I don't think it's all that weird. He, yeah. I think what made it weird is that he was caught and then executed in Manitoba, so it sort of stood out as uh, an event. Right, right. I'm sure the, the, the crowd gathered, everybody, like, celebrating... <laughs> Oh, yeah, absolutely. Ticker tape parade with his body swinging from the back of a car. <laughs> uh, so how did you start 
personally getting into it, obviously the school, the school history just wasn't detailed enough for you. So at what point did you start looking into stuff a bit more on your own? Um, I was actually really young. I watched the movie Anastasia when I was about eight. Right. And I was at my grandparents. I watched it pretty much every day that for classic, a few months. That classic Manitoba tale. Yeah. At one point, my grandma was like, you know, it's based on a real person, right? And I lost my shit. Because yeah. this is like my movie hero. <laughs> and then I'm like, oh my god, like what happened? Because obviously like magic didn't exist. Yeah. Like, and my grandma you? paused and went, well, they didn't find her. <laughs> She's probably dead. <laughs> but she was real. Uh, well, that's a harsh so life lesson. My- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was tough. It crushed my little eight-year-old heart. So I actually went to the library a few days later and took out the children's book on Anastasia they had there. <laughs> and then... So- I just sort of spent about a year or two looking into the Romanov family at eight, which right. is very weird. As eight-year-olds. But I've always... <laughs> it's not a fun history for an eight-year-old always also either. <laughs> so, how disappointed were you to learn that there was no real talking bad? I think I knew that from the beginning, but it was still disappointing. The sequel, <laughs> yeah. the weird Bartok sequel was more disappointing than the realization there was no talking bad, <laughs> yeah. though. Yeah, you needed to be reassured. You're like, okay, this one isn't true, right? That one will break my heart if this is real. Yeah, <laughs> that's too much for me. I can handle everything else. So, and that at, at what point did that did that dovetail at any point into getting into the more local stuff? Um, I started working at my local museum in Morris, Manitoba, when I was in grade twelve, so I was eighteen. Right. And then I was very suddenly thrown into a very small museum. My hometown has like fifteen hundred people, I think. Right. Wow. So. Um, everything in that museum, I could sort of trace back to a family I knew or someone I had met before. <laughs> so it was really weird to sort of track down family histories of old family friends that had just been like left at this museum for years. So is that kind of so? How big was this museum? Was it like a room or two, or how big are we talking? It was um, three rooms of displays. It was partially in an old schoolhouse, and they built on an attachment, and then there was a storage room an office, and then an archives room. So what was your job there? Were you just kind of like a... I don't know. Um, it was sort of a little bit of everything. So I would watch the museum during the day, like help people show them around or whatever, and then clean up and then catalog and um, put stuff into our collection if it ever came in. Right. So I was responsible for like taking pictures and all of the regular museum upkeep. So did you did you do any tours or anything like that? Was there tours? Um, a couple. <laughs> there wasn't really tours. I did also work at a daycare at the same time. I was sort of moonlighting right. as a museum assistant. <laughs> so I took kids through and I would give them tours because we had this old working cylinder, like circular phonograph thing, which is an old yeah. record that's just like a tube. Yeah. So if you would wind it up, you could show the kids how it worked. Right. And they always really liked that. Yeah. So what what kind of things are in like a tiny town museum of that size? Um. Lots of weird collections I found. Like people will often give us stuff if like their grandmother passes away and they don't know what to do with her belongings. <laughs> so we had one lady who collected dolls. Right. And she died. And her kids did not want her dolls. So they <laughs> Un- gave them to us. Understandably, really. <laughs> yeah, right. Also, it was two hundred and eighty six dolls, because I counted. Are we talking like those so, weird like, porcelain dolls? Uh porcelain plastic, pretty much any type of doll. Right. 
And we did not have the room for that many, so there were just doll parts scattered around this very small museum and, like, different storage containers everywhere. Okay, that just sounds like the fucking house. Just like a salt pepper shaker. That sounds like the house of a <laughs> serial killer. Yeah. Like, just that watching always. Like, because some, some of those dolls had to be haunted. Oh, absolutely. There was a doll that survived a fire in 1910 and half its face was melted, and I was convinced that was going to be the death of me. Yeah, um, I, th- I think you mean there was a doll that was responsible for setting a fire. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, I think you're right. I think the doll was the cause of the arson all along, and I've yeah. solved a like, century-old case. Yeah, you should direct the police directly to that doll, but also advise them not to touch it. <laughs> that doll is definitely looking for a human vessel to send its soul into. Oh, God. The worst part was all the dolls were sort of kept in one area in, like, a child's playroom display we had. (laughs) And I worked there alone, but there were a bunch of volunteers who would come in on the board and, like, do displays. Yeah. And they never told me they were coming by. And there was one day I had finished vacuuming the back where the doll display was, left. And, like, I think I played a game of solitaire for all on the computer because I wasn't working very hard. (laughs) But came back and one of the volunteers had come in and rearranged the child's room. No. And... (laughs) Yeah, they moved the dolls around. At that point, you should have just quit and left town forever. Um, I did leave immediately afterwards. <laughs> and I just had a bit of a sit on the steps outside. <laughs> did you ever use that as a threat? Like, because you were doing childcare as well. If kids were acting up, it's like, I will take you to the doll room. <laughs> no, the kids liked the dolls. Oh, uh, good. They so were the... often like three, so they were a little bit too young to think about the ghosts. And if I told them about the ghosts, I was going to get in trouble. <laughs> they had to learn like everybody else did. Yeah, they had to reach like six or seven and then encounter me as an older and tired tour guide where I'll tell every child about a ghost. <laughs> yes. So so what else? What other, Apart from terrifying haunted dolls, what else was in there? <laughs> oh, Oh, man. Um, There was a salt and pepper shaker collection. There were farm tools, which is not riveting. And then um, there was one day that we had a donation come in and I didn't like take the prop or the first section of it. So I came in and I saw the list of things that had come in and I was like, well, I have to go take pictures and then put them into our archive. And one of the items was listed as a buffalo skull. And I was like, ah, shit, I've never seen a buffalo skull before. Those are cool. (laughs) And I go back. And I look at what's on the table, and it is the top half of a human skull <laughs> and a bottom jaw with teeth. Oh, okay. So how? Yeah. How, so what? Had someone attached a jaw? Was so it was like a was it was it an animal jaw? No, it was a human jaw. All oh, right. Okay. Well, who thought that was a <laughs> buffalo skull? I'm not fully sure on what happened because I did not work the day it came in, but I called the curator. And was like, we don't, this is not a buffalo skull. What happened here? (laughs) (laughs) And I think what happened was in the 1980s, they had burned down our middle school in my hometown and they had excavated to build a new one. They found a bunch of old stuff from when we were trading post in the 1870s and 80s. And one old lady just took everything home with her. Yeah. So like there was stuff like arrowheads and like normal things to find in the ground. But she also took the human skull. Right. And then held on to that in her attic for about 30 to 40 years. Yeah. And then she died and her kids gave it all to us. Yeah. And then somewhere along the said it was a buffalo skull and then forced me to call the RCMP, essentially. Uh, I mean, alternatively, it was the skull of a former player of the Buffalo Bills from the NFL. <laughs> no. Uh. Um, the investigation found out it was from the 1880s. It was not a recent murder, thank oh. God. Yeah, that's good, because it was like, okay, this is a very fresh skull. That would be alarming. Yeah. 
<laughs> we've dated I think this... if there was a full human head donated, it would have been a much more traumatizing yeah. event. We've dated this skull back to 2001. <laughs> At which point, it's someone I knew. Yeah. Which is ah. the worst. It's like, hang on, let me catalog the people I know that have gone missing. Since 2001. <laughs> uh, so, so how much stuff... Like, what was the bar something needed to cross before it became museum-worthy versus, I assume, people just donated also a lot of crap that was useless to you? Um, so the museum mandate was anything related to our local history. Right. But that meant that essentially if anyone owned it locally... <laughs> yeah, that's a very... It was sort of a part of our history. It's <laughs> yeah. broad. It's too broad. People handing in, like, so their, we... their Nintendo 64s. <laughs> Honestly, no matter what you say, someone's probably tried to give it to us because we had a bottle of rusty rusty bottle caps coming one day. Of course. <laughs> which I then um, told them I would take and threw out politely because <laughs> I knew the family. <laughs> uh, well, so what's... We've also what's, got nails before. Just like hammer nails? nails yep. Right, not human nails because that would be alarming. No. <laughs> also very weird. We did have a human lock of hair. Do you know whose hair? Yeah, I know who it was. I just don't want to say the name because the family is very right. much still around. Imagine if it was your own hair that someone donated. You're like, hang on a second. <laughs> this is mine. Surprise! <laughs> uh, I just thought you were so noteworthy that your hair should be in this museum. <laughs> okay, was... I'll just donate my own hair now. Yeah. Do you still work at the museum by any chance? <laughs> or are those days behind you? Those days are well behind me. I haven't uh... worked there in two years i still like i'll pop by when i'm in town i do some cataloging for them over the holidays nice so because oh yeah yeah is there any particular weird standouts of things outside of like the doll collection obviously are there any other weird standouts of things that people donated um we had a snowy owl that was donated once and that was was it like it was a taxidermied snowy owl so they're the big white owls and they're endangered right and there's all sorts of weird provincial bylaws about them. Like, you can't own them on private property. Yeah. So, the person had found, the person that donated had found it when it hit, like, a wire and right. died. So, they brought it to get taxidermied and had to get, like, official paperwork saying it hadn't been murdered. <laughs> and then he kept it at school. And then the school became privatized and he had to donate it to us. Because he couldn't keep it on his lot. So we got a snowy owl that the curator then left around in terrifying places that would frighten me. <laughs> Such as? Because, well, it was like, personally, like it was going to take off. Mm. So uh, essentially, you would turn a corner and there would just be a snowy owl on the table about to fly up. <laughs> and it was always in a new spot when I came back into work. Right. And now it's perched on a shelf very high up and it still scares the shit out of me. <laughs> Did anybody name the snowy owl? No, no one has. I think I tried to make the daycare kids I took through name it. None of them came up with anything good. Uh, disappointing. I know. They should do better, really. Yeah, honestly. You fa- <laughs> but, but also, like, that's your job to, like, set them up with more creative minds. So you're, you've also failed the youth. <laughs> no, that's true. I, I don't work there anymore. And that's probably the reason why. Yeah, you, you left and they, yeah, they all got stupider. <laughs> They're all doing much better without me, I think. <laughs> Okay, so I guess let's get into like more some of the tales of your of the local history. Like, what what have you got for me? What are some of your favorites? Ooh boy. Okay, so my hometown doesn't have many because we're pretty small. But the biggest one is that at one point in the eighteen seventies, we kidnapped a nun. Yeah. And <laughs> the re- 
the records on this are pretty sparse. Right. No one really knows entirely why. Like, we don't know where the convent was exactly either, but there was a convent in town. Right. And this one nun whose name was Teresa was, like, everyone's favorite. And then one day she got word that she was being transferred to go a little bit further north, and no one in our town liked it. (laughs) So to make a statement, they kidnapped her wagon when she was about to leave and held her hostage in town to convince her to stay. And it worked. So just the whole town They didn't transfer her. Like, who who spearheaded the kidnapping? Was it just everybody coming together? Apparently, it was just the town was like, she can't leave. <laughs> That's all we know. So for, I'm assuming there was like a really loud town hall where they're like, this is the most logical course <laughs> of action. It's like, could we we'll ask her to stay? Take no. Take hostage. <laughs> <laughs> so, no, talking to her won't work. Yeah. We've got to kidnap her. So they just held her hostage until she got enough Stockholm Syndrome that she wanted to stay. Presumably, it's not entirely clear why she agreed at all. I don't know if I would if I um, was kidnapped. To be fair, I guess if you you're dealing with even if it is a small town, if you have a whole town of people who are unhinged enough to kidnap you when you try to leave, you probably just want to go along with them because if you do leave, they will find you. Yes, they will track you down. Wow. Oh. <laughs> but it's also the same town that paid like a hundred thousand dollars in the 1870s to bribe a railway company to build the tracks near the town did it work it did man because yeah i th- imagine if they bribed them and they still didn't build the tracks nearby a town your town would probably not exist For anymore real, no it would fall apart what other towns did is, is they a- would pick up their town and just move it to the tracks <laughs> I guess towns were small so enough in those days. They were small enough, I guess, and they were woods. You could sort of pick them up and plop them down somewhere else. But, like, honest to God, Deloraine, Manitoba has an old Deloraine that's just where it used to be before they built the railroad. <laughs> and how and they just moved it. How far away is that from where New Deloraine is? Not very far. Right. Like, you just got to be near the station. Like, like, are we talking quite literally that we would pick up the buildings? And just move them? Um, in some cases, presumably. I don't know. It might have involved more taking it apart and then reassembling it. Because we wouldn't have had as many brick structures in Manitoba in the 1860s and 70s. Yeah. Because I'm liking to imagine, you know, just like 50 townspeople around the base of a building slowly carrying it along <laughs> along the wilderness. Yeah, they've got like the town's two horses pulling yeah. it also. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Okay, well, is there any other noteworthy stories from your your particular hometown? Or do we have to branch out further to Winnipeg in general to get to the real exciting stuff? Branch out to Winnipeg, I think. But Winnipeg is really, really fun as a city. So I always like talking about it anyway. Well, well, let's go. I mean, do you mean like historically or just Winnipeg as a town is also very fun? Uh, Well, Winnipeg as a city is infinitely more fun than a small town that has not much for entertainment. I guess so. I guess so. But yeah. Like, I don't know, I went to Winnipeg all the time when I was growing up, too, so it's very much a thing I'm familiar with, but its history is also just a little bit, like, bigger and crazier. Oh, yeah. Well, well, let's get into some pop- Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, so what's... So... What have you got? Okay, so Winnipeg as a town grew pretty quickly, because we were sort of the central hub of Canada. Yep. So we had lots of people coming through pretty fast. So our population would grow from 200,000 people, or 2,000 people in 1876 to like 200,000 by 1920. So it was like a huge population growth. That is a boom. But it meant, 
Yeah, it's a big boom, but it meant a lot of people that came to town were there to make it rich or they were there to sort of take advantage of how busy the city was. So was it so Winnipeg's was it like a mining town or anything like that? Or uh, no, it was because of the rail yards. Right. It was yeah. So you would come to Winnipeg, you would set up a warehouse, and you would store whatever you needed in it. And you could ship it further out west. Right. Because we were the biggest established city in Western Canada at the time. Right. And then Calgary and Edmonton would crop up, but that was a little bit later on. <laughs> so our first mayor um, arrived in Manitoba in 1870 off of arrest charges. In Ontario, <laughs> so what, because he, just, he had assaulted, he, he, <laughs> he fled. Had assaulted a British officer. <laughs> so he just fled, and the, everyone's like, "We like how you assault British officers. Be our mayor." Yeah, um, it gets worse. Oh, good. Because the reason he assaulted the officer is because the officer had said, "Well, I'm sleeping with your wife," and then <laughs> our mayor Francis Cornish beat him up, well, and then he... left, and then left his wife behind. His wife did not come with him. Oh, it seems. And he moved in with a different woman. It seems reasonable at that point, to be honest. No, I wouldn't have gone with him either. Because I think I... two years later. Oh, okay. <laughs> Carry on. Two years later, he um, burned down one of our newspaper buildings <laughs> oh, okay. in a provincial election riot, and then tried to fight the chief of police. <laughs> and he called him a toad-eating communist, and then was arrested again. Man, that's a good insult, though. It really is. I feel like we should start using that more often now. Yeah, but also, if he's burning Just down... Just cutting in a very specific way. Yeah, if he's burning down buildings, though, is there any chance his spirit now lives in a doll in a small-town museum? There is a chance, but I think if he haunts anywhere, it's probably City Hall. Yeah, okay, that makes a lot more he sense. He was a very angry man and spent a lot of his time causing problems with politics. Because <laughs> so was... he won the 1874 election. Did how, Which is crazy. How long was he mayor for? Um, a year. Oh, okay. So it was he a was, very... He, he burnt bright, but not long, basically. Yeah. It might not surprise you to learn that he was not popular. Oh, I mean, he sounds great by my standards. He's, <laughs> he's got my vote. Yeah, I mean, he had some people. He won the election with 388 votes, give or take. Yeah. And his opponent had 140 Right. But there were about 400 voters in Winnipeg. Yeah. Wait. So, um, yeah. <laughs> so the people that voted for him voted more than once. Yeah. Because you own property in different districts, you could vote multiple times. So they cheated the system. Right. And I guess no one had thought this would be a problematic loophole. <laughs> so they just let him win. <laughs> <laughs> because honestly, if they didn't, he probably would have punched them. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's not worth it. He would have definitely tried to fight someone. So, <laughs> at what did they... Was he kicked out, or did they have a re-election? Like a, they had uh, a re-election. Right. But um, in the interim year where he was our mayor, he was also chief magistrate, so he was a judge. Uh, so, and <laughs> did he just absolve himself of all charges? Yeah. He <laughs> actually was arrested for public intoxication. <laughs> He was brought to the jail and then had to appear in court as the judge and the criminal. And he decided to defend himself in court. <laughs> so he did it and he would go to the bench and then hop down to the prisoner's docket and then do the whole trial like that. <laughs> and he gave himself the choice of a $3 fine or a week in jail. And he took the fine and then 
went back down to the docket and gave a brief sermon on how alcohol was evil and he shouldn't have been drinking in the first place. <laughs> and apparently people thought this was normal and it was okay until he went back up to the bench and acquitted himself on account of previous good behavior. <laughs> so what, that was the straw that broke the camel's back? <laughs> apparently, because he lost the next election and then tried to kidnap his mayoral opponent the next time around and then his opponent got loose and went to the police. <laughs> and then he died of stomach cancer before he could be arrested again. <laughs> wow, what a what a life! I like this. Like, what's what's he your? Named... <laughs> I'm running on a political yeah, campaign of kidnapping. <laughs> yeah, essentially that was his plan. Was I'm going to kidnap this guy so we can't accept the victory? Yeah. So like, and then all this win by default. Yeah. If they can't find him, they can't vote for him. <laughs> Perfect. And then that solidifies <laughs> him as. Mayor again. Yeah, slowly like, not. morphing into a dictatorship. <laughs> I'm sure it would have. Oh, man. We did name a street and a library for him, though. Cornish wow. Library and Cornish Street. Uh, are they still named that to this oh, day? Oh, they're still around. Wow. The wow. Cornish Library in Winnipeg is a beautiful building named That's... for a terrible, terrible yeah. mayor. They had to make up for it. They're like, well... We can't make the building, like, mimic his soul because it would just be on fire all the time. <laughs> just constantly on fire yeah. and it would always be mad at the police. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like constantly on fire but would never let any of the authorities in to put it out. <laughs> no, he would call them all toad and communists yeah. and then... I can't believe this building can talk. <laughs> it's so mad at the establishment. Yeah. <laughs> but it keeps absolving itself of all responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> wow! Uh, I mean, if he was a building, that would be how it would go. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's amazing. <laughs> oh. So, what other exciting things do we have? Ooh, there's plenty. Around the same time, we would hire our first chief of police. He and Cornish did not get along because they were both um, loud and angry. Right. So we hired John S. Ingram in 1876, and he was known for his love of women, wine, and bar fights. Oh, well. And apparently kept ordering Winnipeg more with his fist than anything else. <laughs> so around the same time, we also had an unofficially sanctioned red light district. Yes. We were a boomtown. There were a lot of men coming in. It was just hard to control. So if they kept to their tiny neighborhood, it was going to be fine. Yeah. And Ingram said to just leave them alone. But Ingram probably also said that because he used to frequent the brothels. Yeah. Like, he actually said that from inside one of the brothels. Yeah, he was yelling from the window. Yeah. This is fine. Just, just leave we him. like this. Leave him be. It's cool. <laughs> Basically, but um, his constables did not agree. He had two, and they apparently both tried to resign because they hated Ingram so much. <laughs> but the city wouldn't let them. Oh, okay. So they planned a secret raid on the brothels to try and just like arrest some of them and make a big statement. But they got to one of the brothels run by Ella Lewis. And she told them that they couldn't come inside. So they barged on past, went to her bedroom, and found John S. Ingram upstairs in a state of undress. Oh, no. Yep, he was fined, I think, $8 and fired and then moved to Calgary. Uh, well, he became Calgary's first chief of police. <laughs> what's it? I like that. What, what's, your, what's your employment history? Oh, I got arrested and fired for being caught in a brothel. You're hired. That's fine. That's all we need. Yeah. He was fired for the exact same thing not long after. <laughs> oh, well, you got to admire his consistency. And he does it again. He became the chief of police in Rossburn, B.C. Not long after that. <laughs> How desperate were these people for chiefs of police? 
apparently very. <laughs> After that, he went to go work in the gold rush and blew himself up. <laughs> oh, <laughs> damn. <laughs> Which was a suitably gold ending for every other batshit crazy thing that yeah. man had done. Oh, damn. Man, that's like... I wonder if he just lied every time he goes to a new town. He's just like, yeah, I was the chief of police there, but I wanted to see a new part of Canada. It's like, why did you leave? Uh, no reason. <laughs> I'm totally not okay with prostitution also. Yeah. P.S. Do you have brothels here because I want to shut them down? <laughs> but it's going to require a thorough investigation. I'm gonna have to spend a lot of time making sure they're legitimate. Yeah, do not do not bother me. This is this is a very undercover gig. <laughs> I'll spend weeks. Don't talk to me at all. In fact, keep all other constables away from the building. <laughs> he's so, one of my favorites. He's yes, particularly he's, crazy. Did he do anything else note, noteworthy apart from sleep with a bunch of prostitutes all the time? Um, apparently, during a political insurrection, he knocked one guy out cold in one punch and arrested him. I mean, that's just impressive. Yeah, I mean, he apparently was very, very strong. <laughs> I mean, I kind of was... I, I feel like anyone who's in this these kind of positions where they're terrible at their job and violent must at least be strong to stop people from overthrowing them. Yeah, also, you would have to be pretty good at throwing a punch, I think, because I assume he was he was in a lot of fights. Yeah, I, I mean, he said that he loved bar fights, so... Yeah. I think he was also briefly a boxer for a little bit in between yeah. one of his mayor stints. Yeah, because I can guarantee I will never in my life say I love bar fights because I'm tiny and weak and would lose all of them, so, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's not a statement you want to make unless you're willing to back it up. Yeah, the only person that makes that statement is the kind of person that wins all of the bar fights they're in. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you can guarantee, like, all the people he punched in the face at bars were not going home going, I fucking love bar fighting. <laughs> no, I got punched in the face three times and it was great. <laughs> it's my favorite time of day. Loved it. Except, you know, it would more be like, because you actually would not be able to speak adequately anymore due to your lack of no, teeth. No, and your nose is broken. It's not <laughs> worth it. <laughs> no. Uh, man. What a guy. I... But also, yeah. I, I assume this person he knocked out with one punch. Like, the story would get less impressive if it was, say, a six-year-old. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it would. I like, he would... just punched a child very hard in the face. We do <laughs> know it was a grown man, at least. Yeah. He wasn't assaulting children. He looked at me funny. What was this child doing in the brothel anyway? Oh, man. I mean, so... you could arrest kids for basically anything. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. all the time. Especially in especially in those days, I feel like there was no no discretion between adults and children. Oh no! And if a kid's wandering around on his own, he's just a vagrant, and you can arrest them for vagrancy. Exactly, and you send that kid to work on the rails. Yep, <laughs> can become a grifter. Yes, I mean I'm sure they did. I'm sure there was a lot of <laughs> grifting going on in those towns. <laughs> there so, absolutely were. So, is there any interesting or noteworthy stories relating to, like, the railway or the construction of any of that kind of stuff? Or just the... Um, not so much that I know of, actually. I'm assuming it happens more further out west. Winnipeg itself was sort of established as a city when the rail yard came through. Ah, right. So, it was just sort of, like, a cool perk to living in the city. Now they're sort of an inconvenience, because we still actually have, I think, 24 active railroads. Right. That's... That will block up traffic. It's yeah. crazy. That does seem like a lot of railroads. But... The only railroad story I know is not 
like a radical one. There was a big strike in Winnipeg in 1919 that like shut down the entire city. So nothing could go in or out. And one third of the city was on strike. (laughs) And at some point during this, a young boy broke onto one of the trains for fun and found a whole thing of bananas that were being shipped into town. And he ate most of them and got very sick. And then found out later those bananas were supposed to go to the mayor. <laughs> okay, which which mayor? Was this the punching, f- f- highlighting mayor? Or was this no, this was mayor? a little bit later on. This was uh, Mayor Charles Gray. Okay. Who, not quite as crazy, but also not a big fan of unions. Right, because I'm just saying. like, so if he you, called in the military. If you, if you, he called, wait, he, oh, right. Sorry, he, called in, the, he called in the military. Yeah, I was like, wait, he called in the military because a kid ate his bananas? Holy shit. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> no, uh, no one ever found out. This guy just admitted to it, like a local history thing he was doing. <laughs> wow, I wonder, wonder how many was, how many bananas were there? I, I can't even imagine. I can barely. I don't like bananas very much either. So the thought of eating like enough to get physically sick is terrifying. I mean, I, I I'm a fan of bananas, but I don't think I could eat that many. I, I still, <laughs> I still think I have a, a limit. I'm not a madman. <laughs> This child was, apparently. Yeah. Also, like, how would you get out of that train car? Because you'd be surrounded in banana peels. It would be like a trap. (laughs) You can't escape. You'd break your neck for sure. You'd spend hours just slipping over and over again. And every time you tried to stand up, you would just slip on another banana peel. I do think we've got a great Looney Tunes sketch. Oh, yeah. Just sort of, like, waiting for us. You'd also have no one to blame but yourself, either. You'd be really annoyed being like, I did this. Damn my greed. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I thought I could handle this many bananas. I understand why gluttony is a sin now. <laughs> I'm sure that kid learned a very valuable lesson. But man, that guy like must have been loaded to the brim with vitamins for a while. <laughs> he never had to eat a vegetable again in his <laughs> <Yeah>. life. <laughs> and then he died of heart disease, because it turns out you do have to keep eating vegetables. <laughs> it's just a lie. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, okay, so what else? What are some other exciting stories? Oh, boy, I'm trying to think about things streets are named after Winnipeg, because that's always one of the fastest ways to learn anything about a town you're from, is to look at who we name streets for. Right. I lived, when I lived somewhere when I was a kid, one of the main, like, residential estates I lived in, all the streets were named after different kinds of alcohol. (laughs) I love that. I lived on... This is a lot about the town. Yeah, I lived on Chardonnay Court, so, like, it started off being very fancy. Like, all the streets were named after wines. There was, like, Sauvignon Drive and Chardonnay. and But as, as the, like, the estate expanded, they clearly started running out of kinds of alcohol because it just started being, like, Bourbon Road and Rum Court and just the real, like... <laughs> <laughs> I, I assume these days it's probably just, like, fucking Moonshine Alley or something. <laughs> Vodka Road. Yeah. It's like, I don't know, whatever beer was on special lane. Chardonnay Court does sound very fancy. I'll give them that. Definitely sounded way fancier than we ever were. (laughs) So, yeah. Okay, so there's Minto Street where the brothels were. Ah, yeah. Was named Minto because a guy was in town for about a day. He was there for a week. He was the governor generally came through town and they were so desperate to change the association away from the brothels, they just renamed it. Uh, and it didn't work because the brothels the brothels didn't move for a while but they did move oh wow yeah but also how how did it so did they name it after that man or did he was he the one that renamed it 
Uh, they named it for him as an honor for visiting Winnipeg. <laughs> I which is a thing you would do sometimes. But is that an honor? Like where He's like, oh, we've come in. Like, welcome. We've named a street after you. Oh, that's great. Which street is it? Uh, it's the one where all the brothels are. It's like, did you say brothels? Uh, maybe. No. <laughs> but also, he'd probably be asking, do I get free patronage of the brothels? That's <laughs> a fun perk. They named this for me. Yeah, damn. I was hoping it was going to be like he was in town for like a week and spent so much money in the brothels that they had no choice but to name the street after him. <laughs> yeah, that would be a much more exciting story, but... Oh, uh, well. Winnipeg street names are always like, we need to change the association yeah. from this very quickly. Because <laughs> then they moved the brothels to um, a different part of town and they put them up in like middle class homes. Yeah. Because they legalized it for four years. Oh, right. From like 1909 till 1913. And they put them up in houses and we're like, you can't have any like signs or anything, but we'll just know where the brothels were. And that was on Rachel Street. And you can still find those streets today. They haven't changed those around. That's actually what there's there's a couple of there's a couple of legal brothels in the town where I live, but it's the same thing. You can't there's no there's no signage or anything. It's not advertised, but if you know where they are, like yeah, I used to live around the corner from one of the Brisbane brothels. Oh, weird. Yeah, I guess Australia does have sort of legalized prostitution, hey? Yeah, yeah, we do. <laughs> See, we don't anymore, but we yeah. tried it briefly, and it did not work out well for anyone. Didn't take? Why? Like, how How did it go bad? So, part of the reason was that the people that planned it didn't necessarily indicate to the people who already lived in that neighborhood that there were going to be brothels there. <laughs> oh, they didn't there were lots it. of middle-class homes that were being broken into because no one could figure out which one was the brothel and which one wasn't. They didn't even bother, bother doing, like, a, a leaflet drop. <laughs> <laughs> nope, they're just like, this is it now, this is your lives, good luck. <laughs> so what, they just had random and horny men banging on their doors? There were, I think, at least one or two genuine assaults because of it. I've given you a shilling? <laughs> Why won't you have sex with me? <laughs> this is where the brothels are supposed to be. Yeah. And this is the house on that street, so I think that checks out. Yeah. But then, they sold liquor, also. Yes. To miners, sometimes. Oh, good. So that caused problems, and then... That's why all the six-year-olds were out there committing crimes. They were drunk. <laughs> I mean, probably, yeah. Also, you don't always want to drink the water yeah. in, like, 1909 cities. Beer's yeah. always safer. I mean, it is. The alcohol kills off all the disease germs. Oh, exactly, yeah. Huh. But then, um, at one point, someone in the neighborhood called the police because one of the women that worked in the brothel and the prostitutes was riding around the streets on horseback, apparently naked from the waist down... Just, like, whooping and hollering at, like, five in the morning as a publicity stunt. <laughs> well, I, I guess, but you'd think you'd do that in the daylight hours if you really want to get your brand out there. You would think, but it made the papers. Yeah, I guess. Like, so as they it say, sort of worked. There's no such thing as bad publicity. <laughs> Not when you're running a brothel in 1909. Yeah, but, man. But then like, public why? backlash forced it to shut down because we were a pretty Christian conservative city. I'm more intrigued of, like, why naked from the waist down on the back of the horse? That just seems uncomfortable for her. You would think that's the report I read said, but who knows? Yeah, or is there, like, <laughs> later on people are showing up with the brother going, I want the woman who has, like, horse lice on her vagina. Give me that. <laughs> <laughs> it's a specialty. <laughs> that's just what she offers. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, it's good she's catering to a very particular crowd. 
She's got two clients, but they're dedicated. Yeah, yeah they, they are very regular. It's like any kind of weird, any weird fetish stuff on the internet. Sure, it may be a very niche market, but normally the most niche markets are the people who are willing to pay a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm sure you can make a lot of money if someone's fetish is horse lice. Yeah, because like, there's obviously going to be a limited people catering to that, so... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a scarcity in the market. Yeah, certainly. <laughs> so what... How come they un they stopped legalizing it just because it was not going well? So it's like that. Shut it down. Uh, people actually came from Toronto to like write about the brothels, and there was a lot of criticism from the Canadian government and just like the Canadian public about how it was immoral. Right, right. So just the general <laughs> puritanical society ruining brothels for everybody. More or less, yeah, because it was three people that planted it. It was our police chief, our mayor at the time, and one of the prominent madams in the town. Right. Organized it. Right. And then <laughs> they so, were the only ones that thought it was a good idea. Yeah. Apparently. So basically, the woman who run the, ran the joint and two powerful men who no doubt were regularly at those brothels. <laughs> yeah. It's a little bit later than, like, the particularly crazy chief of police. I think this one may have just been tired of trying to arrest prostitutes throughout the city. Yeah. So it was easier if they were all in one place. They sort of knew where they were. Yeah. So did the did they the brothels continue on once it was once criminalized once again? Uh, some of them stayed there, but a lot of them sort of moved around. It's like traveling brothels. Red, yeah, well, the red light district always shifts. That's how it goes. Hmm. Can't say where they are at the moment. I don't think I actually know, but they used to be a little bit closer to like the center of downtown in the sixties. Right, right. Are there any non-brothel related things going on in, in the history as well? <laughs> yeah, there's lots. Um we were one of the first provinces to gain women's rights. Oh, look or at women's you. right to vote Trailblazers. in Canada. And part of it's because um there was this political equality league that would campaign for women's suffrage from 1914 until we got the right to vote in 1916 and part of the reason they did it is cuz our premier so the head of the Manitoba government was corrupt and like called him on it <laughs> so he was involved in a election scandal where it's believed he took the names from tombstones in his writing and wrote their names down on ballots and stuffed uh, the boxes full of them right yeah I mean, that, that's a classic one. That still happened <laughs> oh, yeah, going no. into the future. Age old. Hmm. So he did that, and he won the election. He was regularly fighting with uh, Nellie McClung, who was our most famous suffragette. And he would always say, oh, women don't want the right to vote. They get the right to vote. They'll be out voting all day, and they'll stop caring for the home, and the home will fall apart. How, you know, the usual arguments. How often does he think and, these women would have to vote? Oh, no, they're going to vote every day. You yeah, cannot like, stop them. Uh, yeah, fucking nine to five voting. Like, doesn't even matter what they're voting for. If there's an election, they're just out writing names on pieces of paper and shoving them into boxes. Yeah, just hopefully you'll get to the right place eventually. Yeah. Who knows? Just like put like so, stuffing, stuffing votes into bottles and throwing them into bodies of water. This will reach the right person one day. <laughs> So um, apparently at the end of 1914, Nellie McClung had had enough and she actually rented out a theater in the downtown area and put on a mock parliament. So she and her friends played different members of the Manitoba government and held parliamentary debates about men's right to vote because they were setting it in a world where women could vote and men could not. So they would go on stage and they would debate if they should give men the right to vote. One of their arguments 
was that, well, if men get the right to vote, they'll be out voting all day and they'll stop working for the home and the home will fall apart. <laughs> so oh. at some point, Nellie McClung went up and did a longer monologue that was apparently very funny. But during it, she would make a crack at um, our premier at the time saying that if men got the right to vote, they would be out or they would become so consumed by voting, they would return to vote from beyond the grave. <laughs> So she called him out publicly three nights in a row. Ghost vote. And then not long after, <laughs> the federal government got involved. <laughs> and he would be charged with, I can't remember what it was, but essentially, like, it was treason. Right. But he was acquitted because of ill health. And he just stopped being our premier, but he would live for 20 more years. Yeah. Uh. But then the next premier was much more willing to let women vote. Well, that's good. <laughs> Thank God. So you said that... Was Winnipeg the first area? Is that what you said to let lim- women vote in Canada? Yeah. Nice. The first province to let, to let women vote. It's specifically white women, though. I should probably clarify that. Oh, you know. Was... <laughs> you can't win them all, I guess. Yeah, Aboriginal women only got the right to vote in, like, 1962. Like, it was absurdly late. Yeah. It's like, it like, I guess we can only solve one kind of horrible discrimination at a time. <laughs> well, it didn't help that a lot of the first suffragettes were also super racist. Oh yeah, that also makes sense. Oh. <laughs> like, no, no, we have we are fighting fighting for very specific women's rights, guys. Yeah, well, um, Nellie McClung's role was quite clearly to clean up the society or the mess that immigrants were making to the country. Right. So, you know, <laughs> it's just the rhetoric she actually used. She's not entirely a saint. <laughs> uh, so. When was the... I have a soft spot for her because I think she's very funny in her writings, but like very problematic beliefs. <laughs> yeah. It's like, damn it, you're awful, but so charismatic. Ah, oh, you got me again, Nelly. <laughs> um, so when was, the, when was the next province that allowed women to vote? Um, I think it was Saskatchewan or Alberta, and it was just a year later. Right. And who was, who was the last one? Who was the holdout? Do you know? That was Quebec. Until the 1930s. Oh, Quebec. What's going on? <laughs> Conservative French Canadians. Yeah. That's what's going on. Damn. I, I imagine just based on what I know of France that, like, Quebec may have had a more bustling and accepted red light district. I don't know a whole lot about Quebec itself. It was, it's pretty Catholic. Yeah. But French Canadian Catholics. Yeah. I guess the, like, French, the French love their sex, but they also love their religion. It's it's quite a <laughs> it's quite a confusing dick to me. Oh. There's a really interesting difference between like France French and Quebec French too. Like yeah, culturally very different. Their language is very weird. Yeah, I do know that the French because Canadian French is not the same. Yeah, I I think I think I was actually talking about someone talking to someone else about this recently. How you know French people from French tend to look quite down upon Canadian French. They do. <laughs> they are not a fan. <laughs> no, it's it's different, and it's. I think they incorporate religion more into their swears than they do in like actual France. <laughs> uh, My French is not great, so I can't speak to that. So, do you know? Do you know any any interesting stories about any of the French Canadian side of things, or is that not your field of expertise? That's not my field of expertise. I know. I assume it's like also very interesting. Oh, There's a no couple, doubt. like, gruesome murders that happen in French Canada. Uh, well, so better than... That a... are, like, 
more interesting, well known. more interesting than a 16 year old girl in a hotel. Oh, there was an actual like young girl. She was like eight or something. Her mother killed her and it was a huge deal in the 1890s. I think it was. And Cause like, these debates on like if a mother could actually kill her kid. Yeah. Is she physically capable of doing it? I assume they had a force field. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe they do. But there are also, like, riots and fires in Montreal. I know a bit, but not enough to actually tell any good stories. I think they burned down their parliament building in the 1700s, though. Ah, classic. But who hasn't done that at least once? Ah, yeah, no. I actually did it a couple of weekends ago. Yeah, there you go. See, everyone does it. I I am recording this podcast from a cave because I'm on the run. (laughs) But also... Very brave of you. This cave has wonderful Wi-Fi. (laughs) Yeah, good God. Australia is really high tech. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that is actually... The opposite of true. Our internet infrastructure is terrible. <laughs> oh, so I guess. Manitoba is also not great, so. Yeah. We're so in the same boat on that one. So, what else do we have in Winnipeg? Or, like, branching out from Winnipeg, do you know any more exciting stories from, like, further around the outskirts of where you live? Uh huh. So, I know some good, sort of, Canada wide ones. Yeah, I'll take them. Yeah, okay, so our first prime minister was John A. MacDonald. Yeah. Yeah, people, he's familiar. People should know him, I think, if you're in the Commonwealth. <laughs> I don't know. See, I'm, I'm assuming just it's Ronald MacDonald's cousin, so I'm just assuming Yeah, it is. A... No, you're right. He also helped found a, fast, or found a fast food chain Excellent. in Canada. I'm loving it. <laughs> he was a notorious drunk. And when he was campaigning... He was giving a speech in the middle of the afternoon, and he was shit-faced. Yeah. And he was in the middle of a speech when he just threw up all <laughs> over the podium. <laughs> and his campaign managers were panicking, because they're like, there's no way we can recover from this. He's clearly shit-faced. It's the middle of the day, and he's running for, like, federal government. <laughs> but apparently he composed himself and said, I'm sorry, but thinking about hearing my opponent speak just makes me physically sick. <laughs> Oh, man, what a And then save. finished his speech. And then won the election. Well, yeah, man, I would absolutely vote for that man after that display. He also punched a guy in the face in the middle of a crowd once. I think he was being heckled during a speech, and he hopped down from the stage and just clocked a guy. I like how, like, this early days of politics really shares a lot of similarities with wrestling. Yeah, it's no, like, constantly. Everyone was always punching everyone else. Yeah, exactly. People were just like... Yeah, as soon as someone, like, throws down a challenge, like, all right, let's take this out with our fists. <laughs> also... Yeah, just, like, a fucking fist fight in the middle of Parliament. Why not? I'm wondering how how drunk you need to be to go from being a regular drunk to a notorious drunk. I don't even know. I think it's just because he was popular. Like, he was well-known. Yeah. And then he would also, like, throw up on himself in the middle of the day and then recover right away. Yeah, like, he just, rallied immediately, yeah. so I think oh, yeah. that makes you noteworthy. I mean... What, he was really just doing a tactical spew, that's all. Yeah, I mean, it was, I think, a good, like, political thing to do during his speech was a good, like, show. But I also also like that if you, like, you compare that story. It's like, uh, one of our first premiers vomited in the middle of a speech but managed to come back. And then you, like, go to something like American history where, like, Teddy Roosevelt was shot in the middle of a speech and continued and finished his speech. It's basically the same story. <laughs> Yeah, it's just, in one instance, John McDonald did it to himself. Yeah, I honestly don't know which of these is more heroic. (laughs) I think being shot, probably. 
Uh, I think. I'm going to go on a limb. I feel like... I guess. Like, hey... <laughs> I guess by a nose. Not by much, but... Yeah, it's... Yeah. It's, very, it's, it's a very it's a close, contest. a real photo finish. <laughs> so, so he went on to win. Did he do anything else exciting when he after he won? Did he vomit on anyone after winning? No, he didn't. He um, built the CPR railway. He caught, he was he shut down a like revolution or attempted revolution in Manitoba in 1869. He was just sort of a normal premier. Uh, he went or on prime to, minister for the day. Yeah. He went on to be useful. That's disappointing. I know. I know it is. A lot huh. of our prime ministers are just sort of like, they're just normal, but with quirks. Yeah. <laughs> like William Mackenzie King, who was prime minister in the 1920s, he was a big believer in seances. Right. So he would go to seances and try and communicate with his mother and his dog. <laughs> in, but I, in what order? Was that the right order or did he go his dog first? I think it depended on his mood. Right. Like, maybe he just wanted to talk to his dog and not his mom some days. Yeah. Wow. Like, but... He also try and talk with, like, other world leaders that have passed away. But, okay, like, if you did a seance where you wanted to communicate with a dog, would a dog, like, communicate with actual words in the English language, or would every response the dog have just, like, say, spell out woof? I don't even know. Can you imagine a fortune teller just trying to bark at a table <laughs> to, like, replicate this person's uh, dog? Okay, I actually need to go to a fortune teller immediately and only communicate, say I want to communicate with dogs in the hope that I can make them bark <laughs> at me. Yeah, no, and they've got a very specific bark the fortune teller has to get right. Yeah, like every time they do it, them. you're like, that does, that's not my dog. What kind of <laughs> lies are you peddling here? <laughs> I'm not falling for this. Yeah, this is uh, not again. <laughs> God, <laughs> me, God damn it! Fool me once, shame I've on been you. So many times. <laughs> fool me ten to fifteen times, shame on me. <laughs> uh, so, do you have any particular like stories that you consider your favorites, whether they're particularly local or more wide-reaching? Um, I mean, Nellie McClung's always up there for me because that one's. Super funny, and it's cool yeah. that we're the first province to get the right to vote, but oh, it really depends on the day. So um, I manage a tour program now Oh, just in the city, so all I do is tell these stories to people, and it's super so, fun. So, so there's like sort a, of, I have like categories. Is it like a walking so tour like, around the city? Or? Yeah, it's walking tours. Nice. Yeah, um, it's for um, the Exchange District, so it's like a small historic site right. in the so, city itself. What are some of the good stops on these tours? Um, well... There is a theater called the Pantages Theater mm. that's apparently haunted, but also yes. all theaters have to be haunted. It's sort of a good luck thing, well, yeah, apparently. Yeah. Who wants a not haunted so, theater? <laughs> yeah, that's boring. Ew. Yeah. But um, Alexander Pantages was this like vaudeville theater magnet in the 1890s and early 1900s. Mm. So we'd go up to the Klondike for the gold rush and he would open up a dance hall there with Klondike Kate, who was like a famous burlesque dancer called the Queen of Dawson. Is that because aren't Klondike bars a thing? Yeah, I think they're probably named for the Klondike. I don't think for Klondike Cape. Ah, damn. Oh, well. I don't know the history of Klondike bars. That's apparently my one weakness as a historian uh, is I don't know the Klondike bar story. <laughs> so, yeah, he um, made a lot of money with Klondike Cape. And then apparently at some point they got engaged. Okay, actually, what did Klondike, then, what did Klondike Kate do? 
Um, she was a dancer. Right. And then she would also help sort of manage the like dance hall and its events and stuff. Right. So she would help sort of organize the acts where Pantages would sort of hook the talent and organize other things. Yeah. So they were a really good team. So they got engaged. And then he took all of their money and he left town. <laughs> and got engaged to someone else. Ah, poor Klondike Kate. She um, actually tracked him down and tried to ask for her share of the money back. And all he gave her was the price of a train ticket to get home. Oh, that's cold-blooded. Jeez. But then she went on and (laughs) he was not a nice guy. No, clearly. But uh, Klondike Kate did, I think, marry two other times. And she did okay for herself in the long run, thank God. Well, that's okay then. I'm glad. uh, I'm glad Klondike Kate found her feet. Yeah, she she managed all right. And then he took his money and he opened up two theaters in San Francisco. And then he built this like 180 theaters wide vaudeville chain across North America. Right. And he opened up his Winnipeg one in 1913. This is like the hub of his theater empire. Because he thought apparently Winnipeg audiences had the most discerning taste. Oh, yes. So we could make or break a show. So if the Winnipeg audience liked it, that would be great. And you could go on tour. If we did not like it, too bad you would be fired on the spot. (laughs) Which was not so stellar. You would come in from like Chicago to try and try out an act for Pantages. Damn. Because he would leave you stuck in the city. (laughs) Whoa, geez. He was not fucking around. (laughs) No. But I mean, it worked out pretty well for him. 180 theaters across North America is a huge thing. So yeah, that's like... and. The Klondike Theatres, I assume they're called? Uh, the Pantages Theatre. Oh, Pantages Theatres? Oh, you did say that. Right. So I assume they there's still... There's not many left. Oh. There's, not, there's not many left anymore. There's, I think, three or four in Canada. So is the Winnipeg one still, still standing? It is. It, we can actually, you can go inside it if you're ever in Winnipeg. It's really cool. Does it have shows that but, still um, happen? He... Um, it doesn't really have any like spooky actual ghost things. Uh, that I've seen. Does it? Does but, anyone? Does anyone perform there still? Uh, yeah, it's actually a rental space. So nowadays, if you want to put on a play there, you can rent it out. But they use it for children's dance recitals. All right. More often than not, but it was a performance space until the eighties. Right. So it kicked around for a long time, but like the Marx Brothers played there hmm. in the early nineteen hundreds. So did Harry Houdini. All right. And Bob Hope, I think, might have while he was in the city. <laughs> and then they also had stuff like um, Felix, the mind-reading duck. My God. We don't know We don't know how his act worked. Yeah. But They're he played like... in San Francisco and in London, England, so he was popular. Man. I wonder if that's kind of like how there's that octopus that predicts sporting events. <laughs> I mean, if you could get that octopus, like, back in time to a vaudeville show, he would be very popular. Yeah. And, like, him and the duck doing a double billing, that would sell out. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. They also had um, Willard, the man who grows. Oh, wow. And we don't know how Willard worked either. I so mean, running just... theories are that he used a trapdoor to make himself look like he was getting taller. <laughs> One of the more out there ones is that he had a condition with his spine where he could pop out the space between his vertebrae right. to make himself taller. And he would use a bar at the height of his head to sort of go above it to demonstrate that he was getting much taller than he used <laughs> to be. Alternatively, like, he started the show when he was seven years old, and it just went for seven years. <laughs> yeah, and he just stood there for a really yeah. long time. It's like, man, watch this growth spurt happen in real time. 
watch a man hit puberty. Yeah. What fun. Yeah. So, yeah, it's basically a show of, like, slowly growing in awkward erections. <laughs> then he gets mad and everyone's looking at him funny. Stop it. Stop it. Uh, I need to sit down, but I can't. Oh, this is so embarrassing. It's <laughs> <is> the worst. <laughs> Yeah. So the Fantagious Theater closed in 1926, and he died sometime in the 1930s after like a long court case where he was accused of assaulting a girl. Oh, cool! But apparently, after he died, his um, ghost couldn't quite let go of the Winnipeg Theater, so he likes to hang around and sort of play tricks on performers there. Right. And the, the only so, one, that, the only one that can communicate with him is a duck. <laughs> the duck was very distressed at the theater. <laughs> So um, there was a lady that performed in the 80s that I've met before. And she was saying that there was a bit where she was waiting on stage right for her cue to go on when she felt her friend tap her on the shoulder, push her and say, go. And she went out to center stage and looked across the stage left and saw her friend standing there waiting for her friend's cue to go on. <laughs> with no way to get from point A to point B so quickly. And she is convinced it was the ghost. Well, what a dickhead ghost. <laughs> yeah. Um, other reports include him wrapping people in curtains. And only letting go if you laugh at his fun prank. <laughs> Which <laughs> obviously is the natural reaction to being wrapped in a curtain by a mysterious malevolent force. Just laugh it off. What a fun time you're <laughs> having is, with this ghost that... <laughs> this is so much fun. It's historically not a nice person. <laughs> oh, wow. I called him a dick once in an interview with a reporter, and that was in print. So I have in print called oh, yes. this man a dick. Yeah, he's... You're screwed. It's only a matter of time. <laughs> One day you're going to walk past that theater and be pushed into traffic. Um, the worst part is we go inside on the tours. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. Stay away from so, the curtains. Stay clear of the curtains. It's going to happen one of these days. And it's the worst because we bring the group in, we leave them in the lobby, and we have to go in on our own and turn the lights on. Because <laughs> it's empty. So we turn the lights on, we, get, we take the kids through, and it's fine. And then we put them back outside. And we have to go back in one less time to turn the lights off. Yeah, well. That's the and every tour guide that I've worked with has been like, I am convinced one of these days I'm going to walk past the mirror in the hallway and there is going to be someone waiting there for me. Yeah, you have to, I think, let the tour group know. Like, if I'm not back in five minutes, something bad has happened. Please contact the Ghostbusters. I, I will need help very badly. Yeah, I'm going to need Peter Venkman here immediately. <laughs> I oh. do not know if that joke will land with the eight-year-olds I take on tour. Okay, you'll need to you'll need to upgrade it for like um, the 2016 Ghostbusters then. Maybe, maybe if that's still relevant. Yeah, maybe. Kids these days, they're yeah. fickle. I don't know, or I don't know. Somehow incorporate fidget spinners. Kids like those, right? <laughs> <laughs> as is my understanding of the youth. They don't actually use them as much on tours as I thought. What they do like to do is take pictures of me when I'm not looking. Uh, that's fun. Well, I mean, that's that's a classic. That never gets old. I mean, tourists also do it to me, but it's always terrifying when it's kids because I'm like, you're going to bully me. I know you are. Yeah, uh, you're going to bully me. You do also. It. You're sending that Snapchat to your friends and you're saying mean <laughs> things. <laughs> Everyone's allowed to take a video when I'm telling like a proper ghost story and that's sort of fun. Mm. So Because we do have we do have um, a haunted hotel that's like genuinely spooky. And not just, like, a sort of dickish ghost. Right. Are we talking, like, like some kind of murder hotel? Uh, not quite murder hotel, but um, it's uh, the Fort Gary. It's the most haunted hotel in the province. Ooh. And maybe in Canada, that's sort of up for debate. But allegedly, at some point in the 1910s, a woman was staying there on her honeymoon with her husband. And he left to go get some Advil for her because she wasn't feeling well. Or whatever the 1910s equivalent to Advil was. 
And when he Cocaine went outside, probably. he was hit by a car and died. Oh, okay. And when his wife found out, she killed herself in the room, which is room 202. Right. So it's the most haunted room in the theater. Which is also... So apparently... Had nothing to do with her grief. Was more just like, my head really fucking hurts, and now I can't get Advil. <laughs> it was multiple reasons for it. <laughs> But apparently blood drops in the wall sometimes, and women in white will wander the hallways, and if you're staying alone in bed there, you'll feel someone crawling into bed next to you and wake up as you roll over. <laughs> Which is, like, the creepiest thing. Yeah. There's also apparently um, an old Scottish guy who likes to appear at weddings sometimes, but no one really knows why he's there. I mean, he's not a ghost, he's just an old Scottish dude. <laughs> he's just having a good time, he works there. No one's yeah, ever figured it out, though. Like- He's always a good time. He gets on the dance floor. He gives a nice speech. So we've decided not to question it. Yeah, I mean, can't go wrong. Yeah. It's not hurting anyone. Exactly. It's now just a tradition. Like, it's actually good luck at your wedding to have this Scottish dude appear. <laughs> and then also pretend that, like, you didn't plan this. This is fully a ghost. Yeah. Who is this mysterious specter? <laughs> plan your own haunting. <laughs> I think it's a wedding service someone should offer. Yeah. So do you have like a do you have a particular favorite stop on your tours that you like going and telling the story of the most? The Pantages is fun because I can scare kids. Ah, yeah, that's always good. Yeah. Um. There was one time the lights weren't working, so we turned our flashlights on on our phones and I told them just only ghost stories. <laughs> Because they were pretty antsy kids to begin with. And then we left the theater and went down an alley to talk about the strike. And the wind moved a dumpster a little bit. <laughs> and the kids screamed so loudly yes. that like, I couldn't get their attention for a couple minutes after that. Man, that, that's perfect. <laughs> but then, oh man, I don't know. There's lots of like really cool little things. Like all three of our major newspapers are on the same street corner for a bit. Yeah. So for five years, all of our papers existed in the same space, did that, and they all hated each other. Yeah, did that involve any kind of turf wars? Uh, they never, like, fist fought, but apparently they could actually yell at each other from the windows. <laughs> so the editors could actually scream at each other if they wanted to, and sometimes they did. <laughs> and even once they moved away, so there were two major papers, the Free Press and the Tribune, after 1920, and... They just did not get along. And at one point in the 1960s, there was a bank robbery out of town. And both papers got the tip that there had been a bank robbery, but only the Tribune got the tip that the bank robber had been caught. But they were running an issue in the morning and an issue in the afternoon. And normally what the free press and the Tribune would do is they'd take their rival's morning headline and make it the afternoon one to get more readers. Yeah. So the Tribune figured if they announced the robber had been caught in the morning, the free press would announce it in the afternoon and get more buys. So they sat on it. (laughs) They reported false information in the morning saying the robber was still at large and waited until the afternoon to announce that he had been caught (laughs) to get more buyers later in the day. So everyone else, like the other two papers are obviously like going, he's still out there. Yep, fully believing it. And it's like, nah, mate, he's not. Sorry. Surprise! (laughs) Been sitting on that all morning, just waiting. (laughs) Uh... Man, that's very good. Passive-aggressive news reporting at its finest. If you ever... There's a lot of comments and, like, reports from the editor saying, like, well, the other paper did this recently. <laughs> it's just thinly veiled insults. 
the paper's corrections column is actually correcting the other two newspapers. Yeah, pretty often. And then, oh man, when the Winnipeg Telegram opened up, it said it existed to take the swelling out of the fat breast of the Winnipeg Free Press. <laughs> Jeez. And accused of editorial perversion. Man, they, they had a much, misinformation of facts. They had a much better way with words back then. Oh yeah, they did. Now it's just the comments it's just fake section. News. Oh yeah, it's fake news or it's the comments section of people literally trying to insult them. I would love to be pervu- per, like accused of you know journalistic perversion. Yeah, I feel like it's a good insult. It's a fun thing to be called. Yeah, I wonder if I maybe with Tony the communist. I maybe think. if I maybe if I try hard enough, someone will accuse me of podcast perversion. There you go. That's, that's There's a, a life goal to work towards. Yeah, exactly. That is my my now my aim for life. That's all I need to do. <laughs> like I've been I've been accused of many other forms of perversion, but let's let's really go for it's one specific. It's the one kind I want. Yeah, exactly. It's like playing perversion bingo. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, if you have to like, let's go one more story before we wrap things up. What can you What can you give me to close okay. close things off? Okay, so um, I can talk about the biggest political scandal in Manitoba, which definitely ties into the women's right to vote thing, because it's all about the building of our provincial government's hall. So the legislature. Yep, this sounds good. It's this massive... It's a lovely building. It's, like, fitting for a provincial government. It's huge. It's made of marble and terracotta. It's very, very nice. But when they first announced the plans to build it in 1912, they hired on Thomas Kelly as its contractor. And... Kelly um, agreed, to, he won the bid, and then the minute he was hired on, started raising his price, claiming inflation, and nearly doubled what he had asked for originally. Hmm. And what he was really doing was funneling money away to help build his own house, <laughs> which was about three blocks away from the legislature. It's not even subtle, and like, it's literally down the road. He did not try very hard at all. He actually also stole... Um, eight marble columns from the building and placed them on the entrance of his own house. <laughs> this is the least. Like, this despite is the most all of this, blatant drift. <laughs> he didn't try very hard, but he was friends with our premier, Rodden P. Roblin, the one that um, took names from ballots, right, or from tombstones to put them on the ballots. So he managed to sort of skate away with it because he knew the premier at the time. Yeah, but then. After the mock parliament and being publicly called on the election fraud, the federal government got involved and ran an investigation on the building of the legislature. And they found out that Thomas Kelly had falsely um, inflated his costs and stolen about $800,000 from the Manitoba government, which is a couple million today. Yeah. So he was tried with conspiracy to defraud the government, but fled town before he could be arrested. Hmm. So he ran off to Chicago was caught in 1916, like at the end of the year, and brought back and sentenced to two and a half years in prison, where apparently he actually spent those two and a half years in the warden's personal quarters because he was friends with the warden. (laughs) So then he got off relatively scot-free and went to work as a contractor in the States until he died in 1929. Did he ever actually live in his fancy house? Not for very long, and his house has since been torn down. But uh, the eight marble columns are still at the front of a fancy apartment complex now. Ah, yeah. Well, that's good. As long as as long as it's they called, live on. It's called the Kelly House Apartments. <laughs> <laughs> Man, like, yeah, that is the most amazingly like 
Just shameless fraud attempt. Yeah, just shameless theft. It's like, okay, your columns are identical to the ones on that were specifically made for this building. Ah, yeah, coincidence. I don't know. I don't know how it happened. Weird. It's funny how that works. Also, yeah. I didn't commandeer a bunch of men to bring it over to my house either. Yeah. No, no, definitely not. I don't know what I don't know what these <laughs> men are talking about. It's all lies. It's all shameless lies. They're jealous of my fancy house. <laughs> They're jealous of my wealth. Yeah. And I am very wealthy. Please don't forget that. Yeah. I have independently gained this wealth. I've there's no like misappropriation of funds. I earn this all myself in honest ways. <laughs> Totally legitimate. I'm a legitimate businessman, yeah. and I can't believe you'd say I'm anything but. No, I cannot provide you any details. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, good to know. It was a, a place rife with corruption. I also like, yeah. Oh, I'm sure every city is, though. I mean, yeah. I, I, that's, yeah. Every, ta- every city would no doubt have its own tales of corruption and people helping out the other people they knew and... I feel like every and like anyone in power, especially in those days, is literally just like the most corrupt people in the world. Oh yeah, absolutely. Man, well, that's a lot of yeah. You aren't wrong. There's a lot of interesting t- tales going on in your local history. <laughs> I mean, I think there are everywhere. You yeah, just have to look for them. Exactly. I mean, I should. I'm sure Australia's got. Oh man, I have. I mean, we, some we're crazy stuff going on. Yeah, we're a fucking convict colony. Without a doubt, there's yeah, there's going to be an abundance of just terrible shit that's gone on in our past (laughs) (laughs) absolutely it's always fun to look into uh well yes maybe i will have to do that now or i will have to find someone else who's done the legwork who's willing to talk to me about it i'm sure you can find a very enthusiastic australian historian somewhere yeah i've got to i've got to look up some walking tours of of brisbane and see what i can find go for it it'll be worth it i guarantee it excellent well yes thank you very much for joining me and telling me all these tales i enjoyed hearing about all of the brothels (laughs) <laughs> those are always the most popular ones yeah, yeah just like just like brothels in general they're always very popular yeah <laughs> it's funny how that works okay well thank you very much for joining me i hope you and en- have you enjoyed talking yeah thank you and it's I been great hope everyone enjoyed listening but until next time i'll say farewell to you and i'll say farewell to everybody else out there so everybody until next time please keep on caring <laughs> <laughs>